Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. So glad that you guys are with us. And I'm excited to jump in and to study the Word of God together this weekend. If you uh, live on social media in any way, shape, or form, you have seen over the last couple of weeks this trend that has been building. And it's all about identifying red flags, right? And so maybe you've seen this. If you're not on social media, don't worry, I'm gonna catch you up. But everybody else knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so here's the trend, right? Someone will identify something that you see in another person and then they'll label it with a bunch of red flag emojis, right? So some of them are like serious, some of them are funny. So it might say like, uh, when they tell you they're not going to church this weekend, red flags, right? <laughs> or it might say, uh, you know, if they don't offer to pay for the first date, red flags, right? And they're usually about relationships. I actually brought some of my favorite ones uh, that I saw on Twitter this week. Here's one of them. It says this, leaving a Marvel movie before the credits end, right? <laughs> Red flag, do not find yourself in a relationship with someone who doesn't stay through the end of the credits on Endgame. All right, here's another one. Dunkin' Donuts got in on the game. If they say, I don't drink coffee, that's it. Red flag, right? Say it with me. All right, I'm gonna read you one more. And when I read it, you say red flag. Here we go. Uh, All water tastes the same. Because if you've had Dasani, you know that ain't true, right? Okay, (laughs) just saying. All right, here's another one. I was gonna to try to do this in my best cookie monster voice. When me here say someone, they don't like cookies. Red flag, right? Red flag. And then this is one of my favorites. If they put pineapple on pizza. Red flag. That, y'all, if God wanted pineapple on pizza, he'd have put it there, okay? That is not a thing, right? And, and so there's been this, this viral trend that's been building over the last couple of weeks. And the interesting thing, the fascinating thing for me about this is how quickly we can find faults in other people. How easy it is for us to identify red flags in others. That actually comes really naturally to most of us. That's not complicated. What's actually much more difficult is to identify red flags in ourselves. And so I've just started to wonder as I've kind of seen some of this stuff out there, like what are, the, what are the red flags in me? I actually think that's a much harder, but a much healthier question to ask. What are the red flags in me? Constantly in scripture, we see instances where God encourages his people to examine themselves, right? In the book of Lamentations, it says this, It says, let us examine our ways and test them and then let us return to the Lord. All throughout the Psalms, here's just one example. Psalm 139 says it this way. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The whole idea is that as men and women of God, we ought to examine ourselves thoroughly, that we we ought to be looking for the red flags that exist in our own lives. Because here's what I believe. Even though this viral trend is maybe just now hitting social media, this has been happening in the human heart for a very long time. We're quick to point the fingers. We're, We're quick to cast judgment. We're fast to find fault. We're quick to offer criticism. 
And I wonder if today, for just a few minutes, we might be able instead to turn the mirror towards ourselves and ask ourselves the question, well, what about the red flags in me? Jesus speaks to this idea in Matthew chapter seven. And in Matthew chapter seven, what we're getting is the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of mankind because it's Jesus for the kind of very first time, like getting all of it out. It's it's kind of his first sermon, his manifesto, where he's like, here's what it means. The kingdom of God is this. And as he's teaching the people in the Sermon on the Mount, there's this section in Matthew chapter seven where Jesus speaks directly to this idea of how we are quick to judge others. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse one. It's pretty simple. Maybe you've heard this verse before. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard that verse before, okay? I, I think, I would argue that this, is, this might be the second most well-known verse in history. You know, like if, if we say John 3.16 might kind of be at the top, this one's not far behind. This is something that people love to quote, right? Don't judge unless you wanna be judged. It might be the favorite verse for non-Christians to say about Christians. Don't judge me. And so it's important that we might understand what Jesus is actually saying here. It's important that we understand that. Here, let me tell you what Jesus cannot mean. Jesus cannot mean that we should not tell people when they are wrong. He, he can't mean that. Jesus cannot mean that we should not speak the truth and stand for truth. He can't mean that. He can't mean that we shouldn't correct people because Jesus, if you read the gospels, spends a lot of his ministry doing just that. In just a few verses, he's about to tell the people like, hey, the road to destruction is, is wide. It's easy. But, but the path that leads to life, it's, it's narrow and it's hard, right? Now that might sound, well, do not judge, Jesus. So he cannot mean that we can't tell people when they are wrong. In fact, at one point in the scriptures, Jesus literally says to people, you are wrong because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So he, he cannot simply mean don't judge other people. I mean, I mean, think about the moment in scripture in John chapter four, Jesus sits down with a woman at the well and he has this beautiful conversation, this exchange with her and he's trying to help her understand what it means to have eternal life. And, and, and in that passage of scripture, what does he say to her? He's talking about her life and he's like, well, you've already had five husbands and the, one, the man that you're with right now, you're not married to him either. Like he's actually calling out the, the mistakes that she's made or the situation that she's in. He's actually calling out the sin in her life. And so he's not telling us plainly, simply don't judge other people. Actually, this verse is likely better translated, do not condemn or you will be condemned. To, to condemn someone is to dismiss them unto punishment, right? To, that, you, that you write them off. And actually, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Does Jesus condemn? I already mentioned John 3.16, but many of us don't know the verse after the verse. <laughs> Here's what John 3.17 says. It says that Jesus, right, 
came not to condemn the world. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to judge. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Does that mean that he didn't tell the truth? No, he always told the truth. Here's when judgment happens. Judgment happens after you tell the truth. Judging someone has a lot more to do with how you respond to them after you tell them the truth than just simply keeping your opinions to yourself. After Jesus spoke the truth, what did he do? He died for us. He gave everything for us. He stood for the truth, but he came to save. And so what Jesus is instructing us in part in this passage of scripture, he's saying, do not condemn other people. He's not saying, don't be discerning, don't be judging, don't be wise. He's saying, do not condemn. And here's how the scripture continues. He says, do not condemn or you too will be condemned. For in the same way you judge others, you too will be judged. With the measure you use, look out, (laughs) it will be measured to you. And then he uses an illustration. Here's what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? What's he saying? Why are we so quick to point out the red flags in other people while never taking the time to evaluate ourselves? Why why is it so easy to say, oh, red flag? but it's a lot harder for me to look at my own sin. Here's the illustration that Jesus uses. He he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye? You can't even see that on camera. It's so small, right? Like, why do you look at the speck in somebody else's eye? I had to bring like a whole bunch of it so you could even tell what it is, right? Jesus is literally saying this, this thing, it's so small. But you're worried about that. Never mind that you got a plank in your own eye, right? Y'all, listen, Jesus is funny. (laughs) This is a crazy picture. He's going, why do you look at the speck in someone else's eye when you got a plank in your own? What is he saying? Well, he's using hyperbole, right? He's using exaggerated language to drive home a point. What does that mean? Jesus does this all the time, right? Think about it. He says, um, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Does Jesus mean if you have wealth, you can't go to heaven? No. What is he saying? He's saying that if you have a love of money, if you're attached to your possessions, it's gonna be really difficult to prioritize the kingdom of God. But he uses this word picture, this hyperbole to help us understand the significance, to drive home a point. And what he's saying is there is a speck in someone else's eye, but a plank in your own. Now, I've read that passage of scripture a whole bunch, but I don't know for sure if I've ever thought about it that way. Have you ever had something stuck in your eye? How annoying is that? (laughs) That is the worst, right? And and so I can think of a couple of times in my life where I had something stuck in my eye, and what do you gotta do? Ready? I'm gonna do it. If you can put contacts on, here you go. Right? No, but seriously, I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. But think about it. Like you, you have to work, you have to pry, you have to dig. It's, it's small, right? And, and Jesus is saying like, you, you hypocrite. Why, why do we look at the speck in someone else's eye when we've got a plank 
in our own. Some people have sawdust, other people have planks. But what Jesus instructs us in this scripture is not to be judgmental. We're gonna talk about what that means. Here's how the verse continues. It says, how can you say to a brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own, right? He is addressing in part like hypocrisy, people who say one thing and do a total, totally different thing, right? He is addressing in part that, but there is more going on here. Here's his instruction. Don't miss this. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he's not actually saying don't judge people. He's actually saying there is a process by which we as men and women of faith actually can discern the things in our own lives and in the lives of others that ought to be addressed. And I think as Christians, we have to reflect on the question of whether or not we are judging others. And so here's what I wanna do for just a few minutes. We're gonna ask ourselves the question, are we judging by looking for a few red flags in our own lives, okay? So here's the first one. This is a red flag. This means that we're judging. It's easier to identify their sin than mine. I am judging other people. I'm disobeying this command of Jesus if it's easier to judge their sin than mine. See, what Jesus is instructing us to do here is to look first at our own lives, right? Somebody has once, many people have said, like we make great lawyers for our own sin and good judges for the sins of others. We, we hold ourselves to a different standard if we are honest. And we are quick to defend our own sin and explain our own sin. And it's easy, it's easy for most of us to point it out in somebody else. This, this is not your problem or my problem. This is, a, this is a human problem. I think of the story in the Old Testament about David and Nathan and 2 Samuel. And what happens, maybe you know, like David finds himself at a moment in his life where he's, he's committed a series of sins. He is not in a good place at all, right? He's made some major, major mistakes and God in his kindness sends to him a, a prophet named Nathan who begins to tell him a story. He begins to tell him a story about a man who had everything and, and instead of enjoying what he had, he took from someone else who had nothing. And David, as he hears this story, from, from Nathan, he gets frustrated and he's like, that man has sinned against God. The prophet goes, you are that man. That's the, that's the same thing that you've done. You had everything and, and you took from someone else. And, and in that moment, it's so easy for David to identify the sin in someone else. Harder to identify it in his own life, but because of the kindness and the grace of God, when he's confronted with the reality of what he's done, his first response is to repent. In fact, there's a beautiful Psalm in the scripture where, where David is just repenting and asks, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and compassion. 
And so if we find ourselves in a situation where it's easy to point out faults in others or easy to identify their sin, a little harder to identify our own, we just need to do the same thing that David did. Repent. That's how a man who found himself in so much trouble be, could be considered a man after God's own heart. He was quick to repent. Am I? When I, when I recognize the red flag, am I quick to repent? As I was studying this week, I, I read a quote from a commentary that I wanna share with you because I think it's so powerful exactly the way that it's written. Matthew Henry, who's a theologian and scholar, he wrote this. He said, that which charity teaches us to call but a splinter in our brother's eye, true repentance and godly sorrow would teach us to call a beam in our own. That which we would call a speck in somebody else's eye, if that's in us, that's a bigger deal. That's a plank, that's a beam, that's a priority, that's something that I need to address. Because, because here's what I want you to understand about this story that Jesus tells, right? He, he says, the speck in some people's eyes, speck in another eye, right? Small, seems insignificant, and the plank in our own. Jesus here, listen to me very carefully, he is not talking about the size of sin. If you think that this story is about, well, they have a small sin, but you have a big sin, you missed the point. Jesus, I would argue, it's not the size of the sin that matters because this sawdust and this two by four, they're made of the same thing. It's not the size of sin, it's the substance of sin. They are made of the same thing. Sin is sin. I don't care if it's small. <laughs> it matters to God. And so he's not saying, don't worry about the small sin that they got because you got a big sin. No, he's saying the biggest sin that I need to worry about is my own. The substance of sin is what matters to Jesus and I should be more concerned about my sin than I am about anybody else's. If you're more enraged about somebody else's sin than you are embarrassed of your own, that's a problem. And so that's one red flag. Another one would be this. Another red flag tells us that we're judging people. I fail to forgive others as I have been forgiven. It's a red flag. And Jesus talks about this in the scripture quite a bit. And if we're honest, sometimes we, we tend to do this. We fail to forgive others the way that we have been forgiven. And the way that Jesus addresses that in this passage of scripture, he says, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So how we forgive other people matters. The measure that we use, it matters. And so the most important thing that you and I can do to address this issue in our lives is simply to remember the measurement with which God judged you. Because when God measured us, what did he extend? Mercy. <laughs> 
When, when God looked at me in my poor and helpless estate and my brokenness, he decided to extend mercy to me in the person of Jesus. He gave me a way out. I'm so grateful, I don't know about you, that when God judges me, he uses the rule of mercy by sending Jesus to save me from my sin, amen? We have to be grateful for the gospel of Jesus. And as soon as we forget how much we have been forgiven of, we will begin to fail to extend that same forgiveness to other people. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, they say, uh, well, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus, another hyperbole, is like, seven times, 70 times. You know, like he uses all of the, he's not trying to give him an equation. It's not a math problem. It's like, oh, well, that's one too many times. His, his emphasis is we should forgive others continually because that is how God has forgiven us. I love the concept that as Jesus hung on the cross between two thieves, as he was about to give his life, one of the statements that he uttered from the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the language there in the scripture would indicate that wasn't just a one-time statement that he uttered, but over and over again, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus doesn't just forgive us once, he forgives us time and time and time again. Now, should we abuse the forgiveness of Jesus and do whatever we want? The Bible addresses that too. Romans chapter six, Paul's going like, what then, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means, right? Because when you understand truly what you have been forgiven from, you wanna run from everything that you once held on to. It's not about what you can get away with, it's about what you have been forgiven for. And so they ask Jesus, well, what about forgiveness? And so Jesus tells them a story to try to help them understand. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells them a story about a man who owes his master 10,000 bags of gold. And he comes to the master and the master is demanding repayment. And he's saying, I, I can't do it. I can't afford it. I can't repay you. And, and so the master goes to punish him. And, and instead, this man, he begs for mercy. Please be patient with me. Forgive me. I will repay my debt. And the master in this passage of scripture, this story that Jesus tells, he forgives the man's debt and he sends him away. But the story doesn't stop there because that same man who had been forgiven of such a great debt he goes out into the streets of the city and he, he locates a man who owes him money. The Bible says 100 silver coins, so significantly less than he owed his master and he demands repayment. And the man he's demanding repayment from says the same thing. I say, he said, I can't, I can't pay it. Please be patient with me. Please, please give me time. I'll, I'll take care of this. And, and instead of extending grace the way that he had received it, no, he, he throws him in jail until he can repay his debt. Well, the master is frustrated, right? Brings him back in. He's going, don't you understand how much I have forgiven you of? Like we read that story and it doesn't make any sense. A man who's been given freedom from such a great debt then holds somebody else to a, such a small obligation. But that's what we do. When we fail to forgive people who, who wrong us and hurt us and mistreat us and betray us, I'm not saying those things are insignificant or small, they matter. 
But in light of what we have been forgiven of, in light of what God has extended us grace for, we, we are compelled, we are commanded to extend that same kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness to those around us. And, and if we struggle to do that, that's a, a red flag that we need to address in our lives. The third red flag would be this. <laughs> I, I cut out anyone that I don't agree with. A red flag, an indicator, a warning that I would be judging people in my life is I cut off anyone I don't agree with. I'm not sure there is a more culturally relevant statement than that to the times in which we are living. People are constantly dismissing, canceling, cutting off people that they don't agree with. And that very simply is not the model of Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who would make most of us very uncomfortable. He, he spent a lot of time with what the Bible would call sinners and tax collectors, right? And, he, and the religious people were always getting frustrated with Jesus because that's, that's where he was, right? And he would even tell them, like, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick, right? Like, he's, he's intentionally placing some, himself around people who, who don't disagree, who don't always agree with him. And he would tell them the truth, he would call them to repentance, but when they didn't, it didn't mean that he cut them out of his life. I think... Maybe one of the ultimate examples is Judas. Because if you read the moment in scripture where Judas comes back to Jesus having just betrayed him, Jesus actually says, where, where were you, friend? Could have, could have called him a lot of things. <laughs> not, not probably the name I would have chosen, <laughs> you know? Where were you, friend? even knowing what he had done, even knowing where he had been, even knowing. I mean, that's about as big a dispute as you could possibly have. And Jesus is, calls him friend. I wish that was the end of his story. We, we know it's not. But I think it's important that we understand that even when we fall short, even when we mess up, God is always ready to receive us. But often, if we find people in our own lives who we don't agree with, we just cut them out. We dismiss them. And that, that's the real problem. Like, I, I wasn't intending on saying this, but that, that's the real problem with like the whole cancel culture mentality is I'm not just criticizing someone's ideas or their perspective. I, I'm saying because you think a certain way, you have no worth or value or significance. That's not Jesus. Jesus is gonna tell you the truth, but he's gonna go, no matter what, love you. you. You have worth, you have value, you have significance. And so I think as Christian people, as men and women of God, we need to be the first people to stand up and say, this is not the God of scripture. And so we've talked quite a bit about like some of the red flags. These are some of the ways that I know I'm judging people. But we actually see in this passage of scripture some green flags. 
Like, what, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? How, how can we actually address things in our lives or address people in our lives that we feel need to, we need to have a conversation? Well, I think Jesus gives us some pretty clear instructions. So, so here's the green flag. First of all, it's in the right order. It's in the right order. We can actually discern and judge and perceive if it's first in the right order. And here's what I mean, that I'm looking at my own sin first. I'm I'm looking at my own sin first, that I am more concerned about my sin than anybody else's. If you start to compare yourself to other people and think, well, well, what I do is nothing compared to what, no, (laughs) major red flag. Because I should be more concerned with my own sin than anybody else's. So if that's true, you you can move forward. You got a green flag from the Lord. Here's the second one. It's not just, is it in the right order, but is it done with the right heart? So, So first I have to look at my own sin, right? More concerned with what's going on in me than in anybody else. And if it's in the right order, then when I begin to address these things, it needs to be done first with the right heart, right? We, we have got to approach people with humility and with compassion. Part of what Jesus is calling out here is, is hypocrisy and pride and self-righteousness, right? He's addressing people that might otherwise think that they are better than someone else. And Jesus goes, no, 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 there's no place for that. But we have to approach others with humility. In fact, there's a scripture that that actually tells us if you see a brother in error, go to him and correct him with gentleness, right? That we would approach these conversations, these moments, these situations, these people with humility. So we make sure it's in the right order and it's with the right heart. And finally, for the right purpose, for the right purpose, meaning it is for their benefit and not mine. It's for their benefit and not mine. Because if I'm going to somebody and I'm saying something and I'm correct because I wanna be heard or I have an agenda or it's gonna serve me, then it's, it's, it's wrong. It actually has to be for their benefit, right? For the right purpose, right? Because that's what Jesus says. He says, get the plank out of your own eye because then when you get the plank out of your own eye, then you can go and you can help a brother address his issue. And, and so it has to be for their benefit. And, and I just think if I'm gonna be really honest today, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this message. Maybe because I do all of these things and the Lord is convicting me. Or, or maybe because we exist in a day and age where we are not getting this right. We're, we're not getting this right. God is not saying don't judge. He's saying don't be judgmental. Look for these red flags because if you can identify somebody else's sin easier than your own, if you, if you cut them off, if they don't agree with you, if you fail to forgive the way that you've been forgiven, that's not how Christ has treated us. But if you can do it in the right order and with the right hearts and for the right purpose, then, then go. <laughs> because people need to understand what is true. And we have got to figure this out. We've got to figure out how to be people who stand for truth, but never compromise compassion. I love the concept that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And we often think it's one or the other. I am then, I, I treat somebody with grace and then I treat them with truth. Jesus is the fullness 
of both. How do we do that? There, there's a story that maybe some of you have heard me tell before. And uh, a number of years ago in the city of New York, there was uh, a mayor uh, named LaGuardia. Don't judge him for the airport, okay? Because uh, it's terrible. But uh, he, he was the mayor of New York and he was known as the little flower. <laughs> he was a short man and he wore this big flower on his lapel and he would go around the city and everybody knew him. And one of the things that he would do is he would go into the courts at night in the worst part of the cities and he would dismiss the judge and he would sit down at the bench. And uh, they tell the story of one night he did that in one of these night courts, dismissed the judge and sits down at the bench and, and before him is brought a, a woman who was being accused of the crime of stealing bread to feed her children. And so he heard the case and he heard from the plaintiff and, you know, hey, she stole from my store and we live in such a hard part of the city. This, this can't be allowed. She, she is guilty. And as he heard the case, he, he actually agreed. He's like, you're right. The, the law is clear. She has stolen. She must be punished accordingly. And so even as he hands down the fine and the sentence, he simultaneously pays, takes out the same amount of money that she must now pay and lays it on the counter for her. So he's convicting her of what she has done wrong and he's simultaneously paying the debt on her behalf. And then he actually find everybody in the courtroom 50 cents for being guilty of the crime of allowing a woman and her kids to go hungry in their neighborhood. <laughs> and so he took all of the money and gave it to that woman. That's grace. Truth, this woman was guilty. Mercy, but I'm gonna take care of the penalty for her. Grace, you get more than you ever thought you deserved. That's how God treats us. We are guilty of sin. He has paid the penalty for our sin and he's given us more than we thought we ever deserved. And so as I've studied this passage of scripture, I've just been brought back, I've just been reminded I'm just so grateful for what God has done on my behalf. And if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, I wanna tell you, he's, he's made a way. He extends to you the hand of friendship today. He offers you mercy today. You can be forgiven today. And when you are forgiven, <laughs> changes everything. When we are forgiven, we are called to live a life where we extend that same grace and truth and forgiveness to other people. So I wanna pray two prayers today. One, for anybody in the room who would call themselves a follower of Jesus and you go, you know what? Sometimes if I'm honest, I got this wrong. Jesus, I need you to help me. I'm raising my hand for that prayer today. And then the second, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today can be the day that you receive forgiveness from your sin and inherit eternal life forever. So let's pray across all of our locations today. Would you just raise your hand with me today? If you are a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're gonna go, man, I've gotten this wrong sometimes. I need Lord to help me today. Jesus, I pray for all my brothers and sisters right now who are saying, you know what, I've fallen short in some of these areas. Maybe I've failed to forgive as I've been forgiven or I've cut people off that I didn't agree with or it's been easier for me to identify sin in somebody else than in me. God, help us. 
Help us to see people with your eyes, God. Help us to treat people with compassion. God, we wanna be people who stand for truth. But God, we wanna be great extenders of your grace. Across all of our locations today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you would say, I need that. I need God in my life. I wanna tell you, you can have that today. And all you have to do, we're gonna pray a prayer in just a second. We're all gonna say it together. But if that's you, you're gonna say it just a little bit louder than everybody else. In fact, if you're here today and you would say, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one through Jesus, I want you to just raise your hand boldly right now, wherever you are. Maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe you haven't been able to make this commitment before, but you sense today is the day God has reminded you of the price that he has paid to forgive you of your sins. Say, I want that relationship today. And we're all gonna pray that prayer, but as you pray that your hand is high and your words are loud. Just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new again. And for the rest of my days, as best as I know how, I will live to honor you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, would you help me thank the Lord for all those giving their life to Christ today? Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.